Would you join us this morning in the book of Numbers? The book of Numbers, the gospel according to Numbers. In the passage we'd like to look at today, it is found, I want to read the last two verses of the 26th chapter, and then we're going to go on to the 27th chapter. I want to say this with regard to the last two verses of the 26th chapter. These are the fulfillment of God's word. These two verses are the fulfillment of God's word. He has already proclaimed it. This is the fulfillment of it. And this is why they've had the second count or numbers in the book of Numbers. Verse 64 of chapter 26, But among these there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priests numbered, when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. For the Lord had said unto them, underline that, the Lord had said unto them, we are depending on the veracity of God's word, the dependability of God's word. And we're going to be dealing with that in the first few verses of the 27th chapter. The Lord said unto them, they shall surely die in the wilderness, as good, bad, or indifferent as it was. This is God's word. He had promised this. He had shared this. He declared this. He fulfilled this. And there was not left a man of them, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Out of all those folks that had come out of Egypt, in that age group, there was none left but these two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, there is an exception to this in the sense that Levi is a tribe dealt with all by itself. And in the tribe of Levi, Eleazar, the priest, is going to be found in the book of Joshua. So those that were in the 12 tribes, this commandment went out because of disobedience to God, because of unfaithfulness to God, because God told them that they could go in and take that land, and they came back with an evil report. Ten out of 12 came back with an evil report. God said, you shall all die in the wilderness. And the scriptures tell us they all died in unbelief. They did not believe God. All right. Now that sets the stone, uh, sets the tone, excuse me, sets the tone for chapter 27. We are moving along. <laughs> chapter 27 of the book of Numbers. And in this chapter, we have three incidents, three things that take place. And the one we'd like to spend a little time with this Sunday and probably next Sunday, and that is the daughters of this man by the name of Zelosaphat. Had five daughters, no sons, all right? That's in verses 1 through 11. And then Moses is instructed of his pending death, and that's in verses 12 through 14, and we'll spend some time on that eventually. And then Joshua is selected to be the replacement in verses 15 through 23. So we have three divisions in this chapter, and we're going to spend some time on the first division today. This is five daughters of a man brings a petition to Moses and to Eliezer. And it tells us here, verse 1, Then came the daughters of Zelosahad, 
Now, I apologize if I butcher those names. <laughs> I even listen to them on, on the Internet, trying to get to how to say them, but I, I just sometimes don't get my tooth around them. The son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and these are the names of his daughters. And then he gives these names. Now, it, we find so often in the scriptures that we have a line that steps back, a genealogical line that steps back from this person. Zelosaphat is an example and takes him back to Joseph. Well, we can go from Joseph back and we can go from Joseph back and we end up at Adam. I believe the Lord so often wants us to be assured of the very fact that in Adam all died. We're all related to Adam. There is a relationship there that caused a great problem among the human race. And even Manasseh, even Jacob, even these people down to this man and his five daughters are an illustration of that point. We are in great need of deliverance, and that deliverance we cannot take care of on our own. We need it, but we don't know how to get it. We're always circumventing what God has to say. Now, God said to those people there in the book of Numbers, as the uh, ten came back and they brought an evil report, you're going to die. And guess what? They died in the wilderness. Two came through, and that's Joshua and Caleb out of the twelve tribes. All right, here are the names of these daughters. Mela, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tizra, Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes of all the congregation by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation saying, Our father died in the wilderness. And he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah. It's wonderful that they brought that to their attention. He was not of that group. Our father didn't die as a result of being against the Lord in the company of Korah. But he died. Fulfillment of God's word. And it says there in verse 4, oh, but he died in his own sin and had no sons. Now, this is a, going to be a very interesting passage of Scripture because we find the Lord answering the question. You know, there's never a time in Scriptures, never a time, Old Testament or New Testament, that there was not a divine appointment. This is a divine appointment. That that, that man did not have a son was by divine appointment. And these five ladies come together and they are in unity on this one thing that they bring before Moses and Eliezer. When we get to the New Testament, there's not an incident in the life of the Lord Jesus while he's upon this earth that did not happen yet but except for divine appointment. He met people by divine appointment. This is falling out by divine appointment. And here these five ladies come and they say, Why should the name of our father be done away from among his families, because he had no son. Give us, therefore, a possession among the brethren of our father. Now, if we understood this correctly, we would find out they're not, not, not demanding anything. <laughs> they're just asking for instruction about this manner. 
They're not demanding of God. They're not demanding of Moses, and they're not demanding of Eliezer. But we're in this condition, and we would like to plead the case of our father and his family because there was no sons in his family, and we're what's here. And it goes on, and it says, And Moses brought the cause before the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now they did exactly what was right. It is brought to the Lord. It is, well, it's not fair that this happened. It's not fair that that happened. It's, we're bringing it before the Lord. Now, one of the most interesting things to me that falls out from this passage of Scripture is that these five ladies had been given a great deal of faith. The faith of God's elect. The faith of God. He's the author and finisher of faith. Now, why do I say that? Because they understood that the children of Israel were going to inherit in Canaan, and they wanted to be part of it. They understood that God had said there was going to be an inheritance given there in, among uh, Canaan land. And so we're going to deal with these ladies and their faith and where it came from because it's not natural. We find that most of the people in Israel at that time did not have faith. Most of the people in Israel, as we find there about those ten tribes, they had no faith in God. They, his word was so explicit. His word was so characterized. His word was so, uh, it was so, it was his word. And yet people walked away and said, I don't believe it. I don't believe that he can do that. I don't believe he's able. I don't believe. We find that faith is not our faith, but it is a God who has promised, and he is a promise keeper. That's what our faith is dependent upon. People come to me and say, my faith saved me. I'm sorry. There's not one stitch of scripture that will give any veracity to that statement. In fact, it's just the opposite. Our faith got in our way. Our faith was a foolishness when we find out what faith really is. Our faith is blind faith. Our faith is desperate faith. Our faith is hope and not faith. And we're going to look into this today. The incident, this incident reveals about these daughters of Zelosaphat that God had given them faith and reverence of God. It is very evident that they had faith in God by his word because they're coming before him and saying, we see that there's going to be an inheritance in the land and we want to be part of that. You know, God had promised, go, turn with me back to the book of Genesis, if you would. Very early on in the scriptures, we find in God dealing with Abraham in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. And in verse 8, we have this reading that says, Genesis chapter 17 and verse 8, very early on, long before there was a lineage that we're going to call the children of Israel. This is the progenitor. Guess what? He's Ur of the Chaldees. Guess what? He's a Gentile. God made him a Jew, just like we find he has to do for all of us. If we're going to be in his family, we must be made a spiritual Jew, and he does all that work. All right. Verse 8, it says, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I'll be their God. Now, God promised them, and you know what? These five ladies understood that a promise of God is going to be kept. 
How did they know that? Well, as we find out through more of the scriptures, we find that God had promised that that land would be the children of Israel's, that they would own it, that it would belong to them. And as we find out here, for an everlasting possession, yes, physically for a season, as long as it was necessary, but we also find out it is speaking of a spiritual land. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we read about this same man that says, Abraham look for a city whose builder and maker was God. That piece of property wasn't that important. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a spiritual reality. He was looking for paradise. He was looking for the true paradise because God had given him faith to believe that. Exodus chapter 3. Would you turn there with me? In the book of Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Exodus chapter 3. And there in verse 8, we read these words. God is sharing with Moses. And you know, these things are evident among the people. These are things that they kept. And there were some of them that said, I know in whom I have believed. And some of them said, you know, I don't think he can do it. I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. And guess what? They all died in unbelief. Here, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherein the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest Bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And where is he going to take them? To the land that he has just described, a land that floweth with milk and honey. God had been promising this and promising this and promising this. And we find a few along the way that said, I believe that. I know it doesn't make any sense, but I believe that. I haven't seen the land. I haven't heard. I haven't been there. I haven't viewed it. But I know that it's true. Why? Because God said it's true. It's in his word. He has placed it in his word. And God reveals to those that he reveals his truth to that it's true. This is what it is. Whatever God said, he's going to carry out. He will fulfill. It's no wonder that God's church, God's people believe in eternal salvation. God said it. And we have people on every side. Well, it depends on how well you do in this life. It depends on whether you're obedient in this life. It depends on whether you follow his word in this life. It just depends on all of you and all of you. And the church says it depends all on God because I know what I would do with it. I would not even, I wouldn't be able to keep it. But I'm thankful for a God that does keep it. Well, as we travel through the scriptures, we find time and time again that this passage, this thought about the people going into the land for an inheritance is made so plain. And these five ladies come up and say, my father, our father, died in the wilderness and he didn't have a son. And we're just wondering, can he continue his name through us? Can he continue his name through us? Can we inherit in the land? Because we know there will be an inheritance. We know that that's the truth. You know, 
These five sisters knew the word of God, and by God's grace, they believed God's word. And all this is not by natural interest or understanding. You know, the natural thing is for a people not to believe God. That's the natural thing. When people say, I don't believe that, I can understand that. You know, I used to argue with it. But anymore, I can understand that. I understand when people say, I don't believe it. Here's the word of God. I don't believe it. I I understand that. Because the natural man receiveth not the things of God. That's just true and plain. That's his word. The natural man receiveth not the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. And it takes the Holy Spirit to reveal them to us. When we deal with somebody and they're always bringing up the physical things about God's word, we understand. Because that's where we come from. We want to deal with the physical things about God's word. Oh, look at that, Israel. I want them to inherit that land. No, no, no. God said it's a picture, it's a type, and a shadow of eternity. It's a picture of what God does for us spiritually. In the book of Matthew, we just heard read there in Matthew chapter 16, that the Lord Jesus Christ made a comment to the Apostle Peter, when the Apostle Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, Jesus didn't have to say a word, but he did for our benefit. He'd already revealed that to Peter. But for our benefit, we find out that Jesus told Peter, Flesh and blood, mankind did not cause you to understand this. It wasn't a man that explained it. It wasn't a man that gave the proper definitions of the words. It wasn't a man, a teacher, a doctor of the law that explained this to you so you could understand it. Flesh and blood did not explain this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven, he revealed it unto you. And that's what he does for all of his people. He reveals things. He reveals Christ unto them. He reveals that the word of God is the truth. It is God's word from beginning to end. There's no exceptions about it. Some people, I have read recently and hear people talk about the attitude that the Apostle Paul had towards women. Oh my goodness, he's a male chauvinist. If you have that feeling about it, you better argue with God about it. Because he gave Paul the privilege of writing his word. It's not that. My goodness, as we find out with concerning these five ladies, they are not an exception They are the rule. Everybody that God ever saves are in equality before God like we never had in this world. We're equal before him. There is ground is is flat at the cross and it's flat before the throne of grace. We come before him pouring out our blessed thoughts about him because he's given us the privilege to do so. It is his word. It is his word. It is his word, and we must go to it. You know, it's those five ladies came up there with that attitude, and they're almost remind. Well, they do remind me of Job. You know, right in the middle of that big problem that Job was having, you know what he had to say about this? I know my Redeemer liveth. How could he know that? How could he? He didn't get that out of the trouble he was going through. We are not brought to grace because we're going through trouble. We're brought to grace by God. We're brought to faith by God. And so Job is going through all this trouble, and in the middle of it, he brings out this gospel message. I know my Redeemer liveth, and on the earth again shall stand. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. 
And his friends over there are saying, what is he talking about? And we, this many miles and many millenniums away, say, I know what he's talking about. I know. Same revelation God gave to Job, he gives to every one of his children. I know my Redeemer liveth. Now, my brother doesn't believe that, and my sister doesn't believe that, and my mother and father didn't believe that, but God has given me that to believe. My Redeemer liveth, and he's coming again, and when he comes again, he will separate the sheep from the goats as a shepherd does that very thing. And on that right-hand side, he is going to assemble all those he laid down his life for, and on the left-hand side, he's going to assemble all those he did not. And he's going to say to those, as we heard this morning in the Bible class, welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Left-hand side, I know I can, I can hear all of your nonsense. You sound just like the Jews in the Old Testament. You sound just like the religious people through all ages. I've done, I've done, I've done, I've exercised my faith. He says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. That's God saying that. And here, Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. We heard that read this morning. The carnal mind is enmity against God. Nobody in their natural state is at friendship with God. Oh, I just love Jesus. A different Jesus. I just love God. A different God. If you love God and you love Jesus, you'll love his word about God and about Jesus. And you will agree when he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me. And he that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. You will agree with God when he says, I have chosen you from the foundation of the world. You will agree with God when it says that there is not one whit of good in you, that you're desperately wicked from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. You only wickedness before me. You're a stench before me. And then to have God give this group of people to Jesus Christ, all that the Father giveth me, he went to the cross and died for and paid all their sin debt. It's because the carnal mind is enmity against God, these five that came and said, we'd like to inherit with the rest. God had given them the heart to believe God's word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Boy, all I have to do is visit with my brothers and sisters and find out that. Doesn't take long to figure that out. They receiveth not the things what I thought. You know, Naaman illustrates us before we were saved, doesn't he? I thought. That man didn't even come out and talk to me. Can you imagine a preacher being accused of not coming out and talk to somebody? That preacher didn't come out. He sent his servant. What does God do? He sends his servant. He sends the preacher. He sends the missionary. He sends somebody who knows something out, and they bring his word. Now, if that's one of God's people, they'll hear it. If it's not, I'm so angry with God, he didn't come out and visit with me. In Ephesians chapter 2. Well, before we get there, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have a verse of Scripture that shares with us a great deal about the problem. Now, when these ladies came out, these five ladies in unison, Noah's a very special family. I have to tell this on my own children. No, it used to make me really upset that there was difficulties among them. Against each other. Boy, I wish they could just get along. And then you know what? It struck me. I've got people in my brothers and sisters in my own family that won't talk to me. We don't get along. So, just turn it over to the Lord and let the him figure it out for them. Well, these five ladies come on. Guess what? They get along. Why? Because God has dealt faith to all five of them. They're all five interested in what God has to say. They're all five interested about an inheritance. They're all five have been revealed the grace of God. What a blessing that is, that all five. What a blessing it is for a group of people to come together around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and agree and say yes and amen. I love to hear the old, old story. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't wear thin. It doesn't get old. It's always good. I always go home feeling better than when I came. What a blessing it is to have two or three gathered together in his name and they walk away in agreement. Can two walk together except they be agreed? All right. Here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find... A problem. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. This is it. The Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to pick up the problem. For as in Adam all die. You know, most of the world didn't believe that. These ladies did, though. They agreed on this. They agreed. Now, they may never use the term, and we not it not either. The old fathers just used the term of total inadequacy or total depravity. That's just a way of saying what is summed up in this. But here we have it, as in Adam all die. You know, I was laying in bed last night and that verse came to me and I said, you know, there's another meaning to that verse of Scripture too. In Adam, all part of us die. There's nothing accepted from the death that we got from Adam. Our mind, our soul, our flesh, every part of us fell in that transaction that Adam performed on our behalf. He spoke for us. He was the administrator on our behalf. He, he is the one at the head of the whole family. And when he died, all of him died, and all of us died, and all of us died in him, every bit of us. In Adam all die. Even so, Christ shall all be made alive. Those he represents shall be made alive. You know what? That's what these five ladies came and agreed on. They agreed that we all died in Adam, and they agreed that we all are made alive in Christ. They believed in the Messiah. We say Christ. They said Messiah. You know, the woman at the well said, I know when Messiah has come. And then she understood who the Messiah was. Right in front of her. 
So many say they believe God's word, but we find out we didn't. I've had people, let me get my, my illustration. <laughs> I believe this from cover to cover. And you open it up to a passage of scripture and say, what about this? Well, I don't believe that. Well, the cover got short. God doesn't. When he reveals the word to us, we say, I believe it. Now, I may not understand very much of it, but I believe that it's the word of God and God is fulfilling it as we go along. What is faith? Everybody has an idea what it is and everybody has an idea what salvation is. But God has the word on that subject. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The basis of God-given faith is God. The basis of God-given faith is God. It's not us. It's not our participation with God. It is God. He is the one who gives us faith. And He is the absolute God. And He is the almighty promiser. And He can never overpromise himself. Have you ever over overpromised yourself? Yeah. We all have in some way or another. We've overpromised ourselves. Didn't get it done. That's one thing about the God of heaven. He never overpromises himself. He is almighty. He has all power and his word is true. And so when he says his word, gives his word, it is true, and he will carry it out to the very end. He has never overpromised himself, and he reveals himself as faith. Now, this faith that those five ladies had, that they understood they were going to, they wanted to be inheritors. God came along as Moses approached him. God said, they shall. And the whole end of that section of Scripture says, well, if this family doesn't have any, and if, and if they don't have any brethren, and if they don't have this, and they don't have that, he went to the extreme, we might say, about how far this is going to go, not just to the five daughters, but to families. If there's no inheritor, this is going to be taken care of. God will take care of it. Well, here in the book of Hebrews, we find so much about what faith is. You know... Before you go to chapter 11, would you jump over to chapter 12? Just jump over to chapter 12 for a moment. Verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Now, what is that? Chapter 11. Great cloud of witness. By faith, great cloud of witness. Every believer that's passed on. What a great cloud of witness. Believers today, what a great cloud of witness. What's your hope? Jesus Christ, His blood and righteousness. Great cloud of witness. Who do you believe? God and His Word. Great cloud of witness. Well, surely you have others. No, no, I'm going to nail it to the cross. I'm going to nail it to His Word. I believe in God. I have faith in God. God has given me this faith to believe Him. There's a great cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. 
What is the sin that does so easily beset us? What was the problem that we find with Peter when he denied the Lord? Oh, for a moment we see him in himself. What is our problem? What's our great cloud? What's our what's so sin that so easily besets us? I don't have faith. Then we find out it's not my faith. My faith is wretched. My faith is, is blind. My faith is bad. My faith accomplishes nothing. And God brings us to the point, it's not your faith. It's my faith. And here he goes on to say here, the, and uh, so easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set for, before us, looking unto Jesus, what? The author and finisher of our faith. The sin that does so easily beset us. Oh boy, step across it. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who did these five ladies look to? They looked to the Messiah, who was the author and the finisher of their faith. He gave them the faith to believe. He gave them the faith to trust. They gave them the faith to come to Moses and to Eliezer and say, we petition you. What do we do when we come to the Lord in prayer? We lay our petitions before him. How does he answer our prayer? I think I've shared this with you before, but I was in a church over on the coast one time, and the, and the preacher, the audacity of this preacher to do this, he said, this is how God answers prayer. And he pulled a quarter out of his pocket, flipped it up in the air, and went like that. I said, I'll never come here again. If a preacher has that attitude about how God answers his prayer, how he answers our prayers, he didn't know the first thing about God. He is a wreck. And besides that, he's wretched. How does God answer prayer? According to His will. His everlasting, eternal will. And that's what God said about when we pray, and we know not how to pray as we ought, the Holy Spirit answers our prayer according to His will. You know, it takes grace to believe that. But the church believes that. That God has a will, and it's an everlasting will, and He'll carry it out to the end. All right, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. All right, if you'll go back with me to chapter 11 then. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith, the substance, is the substance. That word means firm foundation. The confidence out of satisfactual quality of a thing. The Substance, faith is the substance. It is the foundation of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. What did we just read over there in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Now that's what gives us substance. That's what gives us reliance. He gives us this faith. It's not ours. Our faith is so faulty. Our faith fails. But his faith is always the same, always enduring, always moving on according to his will. Now by it, the elders obtained a good report. 
You know, there were two elders that came back. Guess what? Joshua and Caleb, you're going into the land. Why? Because I have given you faith to come back with a good report. I have given you faith to come back and say, God is able to do exceedingly greatly above all that you ask or think. And ten of them came back and says, you know, it is a wonderful land and we've seen it, but we can't do it. Through faith, verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, how many people go down through the gorge and see that all that basalt and say, you know, this all happened by chance. This is just... Uh, uh, we, we can't understand it. You know, I don't understand how God made the heavens and the earth, but the Bible tells me God made the heavens and the earth. There's no question in my mind. Don't ex- ask me to explain how he did it. I can't explain God. But he has the power to do such a thing, and by faith we understand that the world were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. How did God save a soul? Well, through faith we understand that he did it from beginning to end. By faith Abel offered a more uh, unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness. Can you imagine as these five ladies were together at home and they were going over the things that are written in the scriptures, how God had revealed it? You know what? Abel. Abel realized he was a sinner before God. He needed a substitute. God revealed that unto him. And he made a sacrifice, a pictorial sacrifice of a lamb. And every time they saw that happen, they said, this is a type and a shadow and a picture of the one who has redeemed us from our sin. Enoch. Now notice verse 6 here. Notice verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible. Did you see that word impossible? Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You mean all this stuff I'm doing doesn't please Him? No, it doesn't. Not one whit of it. The plowing of the wicked is sin. There's not one good thing. You know, I don't know how many times I've taken people over to Psalm 14, and there God gives the commentary on looking down from heaven to see if there were any that did good or any that followed God, and His commentary on it, not one. And people say, well, I'm the exception. I do good. I help my neighbor. That's not what He's talking about. We love good neighbors, and our neighbors love good neighbors, but that doesn't have any piece of action with Almighty God. He pays no attention to that when it comes to the redemption of our soul. There is nothing that we do that God pays any attention to. I will supply the faith for lost, hell-bound sinners, and they will love me. I will give them a new heart, and they will love me. And we find out that's the only way we can approach God and say, I have a petition, Lord. Five sisters illustrate that point. Over here in Numbers chapter uh, 27, I have a petition. They brought it to the Lord. And the Lord 
His will was declared and they inherited just like anybody else that God had given faith to. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now when we get over to Romans chapter 10, we find there that there's a much being said about this when Paul is writing Romans chapter 10. He said, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. How did you know that? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Not some man's theology, but the word of God. Faith cometh by the word of God. That word, that truth of the word must be preached in some fashion. And then God uses that to grant to us, bless us with his faith. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then it goes on, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know, we had a wonderful illustration of paradise today, but have you seen it? Physically speaking, Moses from this side of Jordan looked into the promised land, but God did not take him in there. Now, some people say, well, wasn't he a saved man? Yes, he was. He believed God. But God has given us an illustration about Moses. The law cannot take us into the land. We're not saved by law. We're not saved by the keeping of the law. We're saved by someone like Joshua, whose name means Savior. And we get to the New Testament, and his name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we want Joshua. We want Joshua. We... The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by the Messiah, by Jesus Christ. It is given. Philippians. Turn over there to the book of Philippians, if you would, chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, there in verse 29. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. The scriptures share this. For unto you it is given. I love the gifts of God, don't you? Faith. Love. Joy, faith, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. That's called the, the fruit of the Spirit. Here in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, it says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ. Wednesday night we use the term, for Christ's sake behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him. It's a gift given unto you on the behalf, for Jesus' sake. has given us faith and also to suffer for His sake. Having the same conflict which He saw in me and now here to be in me. Oh, we talked to somebody who says, don't talk to me about that. Talk to somebody, I don't want to hear that. Well, I have an idea about that. You know, I've been in Bible studies where they say, uh, well, we're going to read a verse of Scripture, now we're going to go around the room, and we're going to ask what people think about that. Oh, my goodness. You get to hear a lot of trash. <laughs> that is garbage. I want somebody to speak up and say, this is what God's Word says. 
I want God's Word, not somebody's thoughts on it. I can read enough trash on my own. But God said, He gives His people faith. And five women, five sisters, come before Moses and Eliezer and plead their case. They bring their petition before them. And we're going to find out that God answered them so clearly. You are mine. This is what I have for you. Welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I've taken care of all the access. I've taken care of the tickets. I've taken care of the price. I've taken care of the cost. I've taken care of the travel. I've taken care of everything. Everything that you had is opposed to God. And everything I have is agreement to God, and I give it to you. And the church says, Amen. For left to myself, I would be in total darkness. I would be like those that were out in the wilderness and died in unbelief. But you have given me faith to trust you, and now I come and petition you. I come and petition you. For the inheritance. And God is gracious to give each one of his children his inheritance. Brother Mike.